One of the things that I love is when I go to a new city and they have good public transportation. Like, I love taking the subway or the train or the tram or whatever the city might have. I find it great. I love not having to use a car if I don't, if I don't have to. And I love walking and getting by and going places by foot and having the option of just jumping on the, the subway to get to the next place. Um, love that about Boston when I'm there. And uh, one of the features of subways and some trains is the idea of a third rail. And if you're unfamiliar with trains, and I don't really know that much, this is about the extent of my subway knowledge right now, um, is that there's the tracks that the train runs on, and then there is an additional third rail, usually off to the side. And that third rail provides um, enough power for that train to move and function and keep the lights on and so forth. And If you were to touch that third rail, it would not be good. It wouldn't be like sticking your finger in the, in a light socket because that third rail has about 750 volts running through it. And it would, it just wouldn't end well. Let's put it that way. Um, well, this third rail idea is what, what led, uh, people in our culture to talk about certain issues like they're untouchable. You might hear leaders talk about, like, it's it's election season, you'll hear, don't talk about social security, it's a third rail, meaning if you touch it, you're through, you're done. Um, it, you'll hear other people, like, we can't talk about that issue, it's a third rail, you'll, you're, you're done if you talk about it. No one will listen anymore. Well, Jesus has been willing to go places that most people would not go. He's been willing to touch things that most people in the culture at the time would not touch. For instance, he's gone after the Pharisees, the religious elites of the t- at the time, and he has gone after them hard, calling out their hypocrisy and calling out their injustice, their greed. The third rail. You'd think that if someone did that at the time, they'd be through. In we kind of like that about Jesus in some ways, right? Like he's willing to talk about hard things. He's willing to go after the Pharisees for their injustice. He's willing to, to call out things that are wrong. We've seen him, you know, not only call out things that are wrong, we've seen him go to places, the, the societal outcasts, the people that were ostracized in, in prostitutes and sinners and so forth and, and share meals with them and draw close to them. You'd think, man, You'd think that those people were like third rails to someone claiming to be the Messiah. But they're not for Jesus. Jesus is willing to go to really hard places to accomplish his mission. And Jesus is going to touch another third rail. And this one won't take him out either. And he's going to talk about money. Now, in our society, in our culture, money is the third rail. You start talking about our money and we start being getting real defensive like don't go there that's that's private this is my personal life and Jesus is willing to go after that he's going to go after money he's going to go after what we live for he's going to go after what causes us so much strife in our lives and in the process we're going to see that Jesus wants us to see that a secure life is found in God's delight and in Jesus' ways. That a secure life is found not in the pursuit of things, but in God's delight 
and in Jesus' ways. So would you turn in your Bibles to Luke 12? It's Luke 12, and we're going to look at verses 13 to 34 together. St. Luke writes, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter, arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you are not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the first furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroyed. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. So from the passage, we're going to look at uh, four broad instructions Jesus gives for how to live a secure life. And the first is, the first instruction he gives is to be on guard. You'll see that uh, right in our passage, to be on guard. If you remember, there's a large crowd, thousands of people gathered around Jesus. The crowd is trampling one another, and Jesus has just gotten done talking to his disciples about about what it means to proclaim him before others and being willing to do hard things, when someone from the crowd shouts out, Jesus, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. And at the time, um, the, the inheritance would have been left to the oldest child, and, and the oldest child would presumably keep that, and his younger brother would often move in to keep the family wealth together. This is, by and large, the way wealth was handed down at the time as well. But this guy, this younger brother, wants half of that inheritance, and presumably he wants to just take the money and run and go somewhere else. And he thinks, and not just that, he thinks he's in the right about it. So you'll notice in the language of the text, he's not 
asking Jesus, Jesus, would you help us settle this dispute? He's telling Jesus what he wants to do. Jesus, make my brother do this. Make him divide the inheritance. This is what's fair. But Jesus, Jesus won't even wade into that at all. He won't go for it. Instead, he sidesteps the demand, but then goes after the guy's heart. And look at what he says. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus warns the guy against greed. He doesn't answer his demand, but he goes after his heart and says, listen, you need to be careful about greed. You need to watch your heart for greed. Because greed is pervasive. Greed is everywhere. It is really, really, really easy to be greedy. You're probably greedy. I'm probably greedy too. Um, We always want more. We always assume the best of our motives with stuff. And we always, we tend to think that things can satisfy. But greed, everyone knows, is not a virtue. It's not a virtue. And our culture also knows it's not a virtue. Societally, we think greed is gross. We do. It's why you may have turned on the TV in the past couple of weeks and seen a bunch of stuff about the United Auto Workers Union striking, and I think it's Michigan. And um, one of the things they're protesting is what they're claiming is greed from the CEOs of, of the big four automakers. And regardless of what you think about that, um, it's about perceptions of greed. We don't like greed. We can point to time and time again in our culture where where greed has gotten the better of people. And greed has been something that all cultures, all time, across history, have condemned as wrong. Seneca, an ancient Greek philosopher, thought greed was wrong. We can just go back through history and point out all of the places where greed is wrong. We know it. Greed is gross. But greed affects all of us. It isn't just something that happens to people with lots of money. It's something that happens to people with no money. It's something that happens to people with somewhere in between. It happens to all socioeconomic classes. Greed affects everyone. And Jesus tells us to be on guard against greed. Against building up ourselves against pursuing social status. And the reason he says this is because life is about more than material possessions or financial security. It's about more than what you have in your bank account or your 401k. It's about more than the size of your house. But each one of us can be prone towards greedy hearts. And to drive this point home, he tells a parable. Now, in this story, in this story, there's a man. There's a man who plants crops, and this is an agrarian culture at the time, so they would have they would have been farmers and and things like that. They, they planted crops, and his crops yielded so much that he didn't even know what to do with it all at first. So we see we enter the guy's we enter the guy's consciousness, as it were, where he says, oh, "What am I going to do about all of the crops that I had?" And so he he's like, "I know what I'll do. I got it. I'm going to build bigger barns." 
And so he rips down his old barns. He builds bigger ones. I don't know why I didn't just build more. That's not the point of the parable. But he builds bigger barns for himself where he can store more of his things. And then he says, ah, after I do all of this, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, live it up for a while. In What's crazy about this parable is that if you're reading this with Western eyes like I am and like you are, when we see the parable on first glance, it seems like this guy is just being smart, right? He has a lot of crops. He has, presumed, he has a ton, like a lot of extra. It seems like a really responsible thing to just build more barns for himself, to open the next checking account so that he can have more and more stuff and, and save it. It seems like a wise move to, to create space for his wealth. It seems we would seem irresponsible not to. Seems like it makes sense. Got the extra, build the bigger house, get the better car. Makes sense to us, but in the culture in the time of Jesus, they would have seen this guy as extremely selfish. Because Jewish law required that a certain portion of your crops be left for those who didn't have enough, for those who were forgotten in society, the resident alien, the poor, the widow, the orphan. They would have been able to come to the outside edges of the crop and take the excess for themselves. But notice we don't see this guy do any of that. He just hoards whatever excess comes his way. And we see in the process, his heart. And the problem is, he's greedy. But he's not just greedy because he's greedy. He's greedy because he's godless. Look at what the text says. If you have your Bible open, look at, look at like beginning in um, verse 17. He says, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones to store all my grain and my goods there. I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Do you see who the center of the story is for this guy? The center is himself. He only cares about him. And he thinks that all that he has is because of what he did. That the all of the yield of all the crops is because of the seeds he planted. He sees himself at the center of the world. And that has created a heart that's greedy and a heart that just longs for more. Instead of seeing everything as God. Psalm 24 says this. You may have heard it before. It says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, what? Belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. The Jewish worldview at the time was that everything is God's. He made it. The world and its inhabitants, the earth and everything in it belong to God. He just put seeds in the ground. He didn't even control how much they produce. That was God who did that. And this guy sees none of it. He just sees his crops and what he will do for himself. He has forgotten God. And he has forgotten that even what he has belongs to him. And in the process, his godlessness has caused him to neglect loving God for what he's provided and to neglect loving 
his neighbor with his extra. And the parable closes in verse 20. God says in the parable, which is interesting enough, the only time God speaks in a parable, he says, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. In the things you have prepared, whose will they be? God calls the man's soul forward, basically saying like his life is over. Now, all that stuff, whose will it be? And the answer is, not his, right? All what he, all the stuff that he thought, sought out, all the work that he did, all that storing up, it's just gone. And what he thought was a secure life was insecure because he has to answer before God for what he did and didn't do. The message paraphrase captures Jesus' words in verse 21 well when he says, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Jesus says to be on guard because greed is pervasive. And if we live for only for what's here, we will not live a life of security. And if we forget God, we will not live a secure life. Be on guard. Everything is God's. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he gives the second command here. Don't worry. Don't worry. And the reason we don't have to worry is because Jesus repeats himself in verse 22. Don't worry about your life what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus kind of keeps coming back to this point. Life is about more than your stuff. It's about more than what you eat. It's about more than what you wear. And you will not find security, real lasting security in those things. But we need to take a minute and understand who Jesus is talking to when he's talking to his disciples here and those following him. He's talking to people that were poor. People that were really, really poor. People that were probably not like us. Most of us don't wake up and worry about where our food is going to come from. Most of us went grocery shopping for the week at Market Basket or wherever. But these guys, they did. They did worry about where their food would would come from. It was a real concern for them. They worried about food food and clothing. But most of us aren't worried about those things. Some of us might be. But all of us tend to be anxious, unsettled people. We live with a kind of baseline stress about money, in finances. We clamor after those things. We chase the next thing because we think it'll give us security. Money is at the heart of a lot of our strife and a lot of our discontent. We think if I just had more, if I just had more. But Jesus looks at these people and I think he would say the same thing to us and he tells them, don't worry. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And then he goes to two places in nature and he, and he 
points their eyes there. He says, consider the ravens. Now, ravens at the time were an unclean bird. Ceremonially, they were unclean. But Jesus tells his people, his disciples, hey, look at the ravens. Check them out. They don't toil or spin. They can't like produce. They can't labor. They can't, they can't make things happen for them. They don't even hunt. They're scavengers, right? They don't, they don't do any of that stuff. Yet every single day, the raven goes out and he seems to find roadkill, right? Every single day, God seems to provide them what they need. And if God provides for unclean birds, how much more will he provide for us, those who love him? So Jesus tells us not to worry. And that's why he tells us to to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because Jesus gives daily bread to the ravens, and he will give it to us. Then Jesus goes on. He tells them not to worry. He says, look at the ravens. They don't worry. They, they eat every day. Now, why do you worry? And he asks, can any of you add a, a moment to your life by worrying? The answer is no. And some translation says, can any of you add a foot to your height by thought? Like, no. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I wish I could. Um, but... You can't do that. By worrying, do you really add anything to your life? And the answer is no. Worrying does the opposite of add to your life. It takes away from your life. It prevents you from being able to experience God in the present. It prevents you from being able to experience the good gifts he's given you. It prevents you from being able to experience the relationships he's provided for you. Corey Ten Boom who's the author of The Hiding Place, where she recounts her stories of being uh, captured by the Nazis after they invaded the Netherlands. Um, She was also a committed Christian, and she has a pretty popular uh, quote about worrying, where she says, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength, carrying two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. You may have heard that before. But she's right. Worrying is carrying two days at once. You can't do it. And so Jesus tells us not to worry. You can't add to your life by worry. And, and since you can't, consider the ravens. God provides for them. He'll provide for you. And then he invites his listeners to look at the flowers. Now, um, my wife's son and I, we, we were up in Franconia Notch this past, um, this past Friday. We took a little family day, did some, did some hiking in the woods, and got some ice cream and pizza and all that fun stuff, and took in the leaves. Now, when you look at the trees this time of year, you realize how blessed you are to live in New Hampshire, right? They're so pretty and just so many different colors and, and vibrant and beautiful. Well, Jesus tells the people there to say, look at these lilies. They can't, they, look at these trees. They don't make themselves like that. God just does it because that's who God is. Is. They're beautiful. They're clothed in beauty. There's not one that's the same. Go through the woods. Look at the flowers. 
consider all the different kind. God made them that way. They didn't try. They're just beautiful. And Jesus said that even Solomon, Solomon was the wisest and richest person in the Bible. Even Solomon could not purchase the clothes to make himself as beautiful as what God did. And if God feeds ravens, these unclean birds, he will feed you. And if he clothes lilies that are just these little plants that come up for a season and then die, he will take care of you. Flowers are temporal, and you in the eyes of God are so much more valuable. He will clothe and take care of you. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Because honestly, what some of our worry, what some of our anxiety around thinking that we can pursue a life of security anywhere outside of Jesus comes down to is just not believing that God will come through for us. We don't believe that he'll really provide if we're honest. Then Jesus says in verse 29, look at it. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows that you need them. Jesus comes back to this point and he adds, that the Gentile world, that is people outside of knowing God, that they seek after stuff for security. Because what happens is when we're anxious, friends, when we're just constantly worried, what we're doing is imagining a life without God in it. Now, I'm not talking about like clinical anxiety, like that's something different. I'm talking about like kind of the kind of the baseline anxiety that we feel when we think we can pursue life somewhere else other than God is we are imagining a world outside of God. We're imagining a life that God is really not involved in because we don't believe him. And what Jesus is telling us to do is to see God as he really is involved in your life and in your story. Because I think all of us, when we read this, we're just kind of skeptical. Kind of skeptical that God will really come through. But Jesus isn't just going after our stuff here. He's not just telling us to take a vow of poverty. He's aimed at our hearts and wants us to know what it means to live securely in a world full of people who live like all there is, is right now. The solution is that God knows everything we need. He knows. So we need to be on guard. We need to not worry because God knows our needs. And then we need to seek and not be afraid. Seek and don't be afraid. We've been warned about greed. Now Jesus wants to tell us what to seek. So we're not to seek a life from, of security from things. But what are we supposed to do? And he says, to seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. We're supposed to be people who seek out the kingdom of God and then understand that God will help us with everything else. Well, what does it mean to seek his kingdom? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Because it's like, okay, God, like, great. 
Tell me to speak this. What what is that? Um, How do I speak the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God simply is like that life with God. You get life with God under his rule and care. That's what it means to seek the kingdom, to seek out a life with God under his rule and care. To, under his ways, to realize that his way is the best thing, to see his ways permeate your life, to see the kingdom of God touch down where you live and work and play in your, in your heart. To seek his kingdom means to seek his rule and his reign in a relationship with him and to believe that he'll help us with everything else. He is offering something so much deeper and more profound than a security that comes through things. He is offering himself because security does not come through chasing the next pay raise. Not bad in and of itself, but it will not provide you what you're looking for. Security comes through him and his kingdom. Now the reason we're supposed to seek the kingdom is because of verse 32. And this is beautiful. I think I love this verse. It's really resonated with my heart throughout this week. And then Jesus says, don't worry above. Tells us to seek his kingdom. And then what does he say? Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Jesus tells them, and he tells you and me, not to be afraid, not to live in fear, And he addresses his disciples as little flock. And this isn't like some condescending, like, they're their little flock. Like, this isn't Jesus being like, you know, negative towards his disciples, giving them like a little pat on the head. This is Jesus saying like, hey, I see you're weak. Hey, little flock, I know you're frail. Don't be afraid. I know it's hard. Don't be afraid. Because why? Because God delights to give you the kingdom. What he tells you to seek is what he himself will provide. Jesus knows that we are we are prone not to trust his care. Jesus knows that we are weak and frail, that we that we often doubt his promises, that that we live in a world that seems limited and, and is hard, and that our hearts are prone to wander, though I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Jesus tells us. Don't be afraid. Seek his kingdom because God delights to give it to you. And for those of you who are parents, you know the joy of sharing in something with your kids. Like the joy of, you know, like when their kids are real little and you give them ice cream for the first time and you watch their eyes like light up because it's amazing, right? You have so much delight in giving your kids thing. Or when you, when you can give your kid a gift that you know he's been wanting, you have so much delight and just letting them experience the joy of that. Well, that's how God thinks of us. He just has so much delight in giving us the kingdom. He's not this reluctant father who's like, eh, kind of standoffish. He's like, no, seek the kingdom. God, God delights. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to experience his power and presence in your life. God delights in you. And he wants to give you himself. Look at what Paul says in Romans, he who, he did not, that is God, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? That that is God's heart 
towards you and your life is more than the 60 to 90, I knew someone who lived to 100 years old, that life, life is more. You're not going to find real security in this, but you will find everything you need in Jesus, a real security. And so God is giving us then in himself and in Christ a window into the present to know that God is really at work in the world and in our sufferings and in our sorrows and our highs and in our lows, in our in what feels like limited amount of resources, God is saying that he can still be enough, that his plan is still at work in the world, that you can still trust him and that you can still know security because your eternal security has been taken care of in Jesus. You can live a secure life right now, but it won't be found through things, but it will be found in Jesus. And he's given us a window into the future that if God's working his plan, he will complete it. We can have confidence after what will happen after we die. That rich man, he answered to God. What did those material possessions do for him? They did nothing. Jesus offers us a secure life, free from things. And if you're here, friends, and you don't know Jesus, that secure life is available to you only through him. You will not find it anywhere else. I promise you. You can chase wealth. It will leave you hollow. It, you can can chase the next job. It'll leave you wanting more. You can chase love. It won't be enough. You can chase beauty. There's not enough that's beautiful if it's disconnected from a God who gives it to us. So we're invited to seek his kingdom, to seek Christ. You can turn to Christ. You can look to Jesus to provide everything you need. So he tells us to seek and don't be afraid. Why? Because God delights to give you the kingdom. And then finally, to give to the poor. The rich man hoarded his wealth and lived for himself. He didn't love God and neighbor well. He should have used his excess for the for others, but his heart was really greedy. And now Jesus tells his disciples to give to the poor, to invest in heaven, to make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes in and no moth destroyed. Friends, Jesus isn't opposed to us having nice things, but he's absolutely opposed to us looking for security in them and for letting those things secure have a place in our life that belongs to him. And he calls us to invest in eternity, to give generously to those in need. And this is hard. I don't have any easy answers for you on this. I just have what Jesus says. And I also have a picture of this lived out in Acts 2, where... um, Luke reports in Acts 2 that there were, that when the church was growing, there were people selling possessions that they had and giving so much so that there was nobody in the church at the time, nobody that needed anything. Why? Because God provided through his people. 
Nobody that needed anything. I had this picture of God, of God providing for his people through his people. And so he calls us to be people who are generous and give. It's hard. It's been convicting me all week. I don't know exactly what it means, but I think the question we have to ask is, is greed so taken over our hearts? Are we just pursuing stuff in things and forgetting our neighbor in those in need? C.S. Lewis said, and this was helpful, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say that they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. As one preacher I used to listen to used to say, if you can't say amen, you better say ouch. Um, That's hard, isn't it? It's hard to know. But I think he's on to something here. If we're just so distracted by shiny, sparkly things that we're not actually remembering that God's kingdom is here, we have everything we need. And giving generously, I think we're missing it. And also, if you want to have a heart free from greed, be generous. It's that simple. Friends, Jesus offers us a secure life that's only found in him. There's nowhere else we can go. We can follow the tune of our culture, but it will leave us empty. And where do we get the strength to do this? Well, we get this. Where do we get the strength to live generously? We get this from a Savior. From a Savior who died, from a Savior who literally gave up his life for us so that we could live securely in him, to know that our present was safe with him and know our future is secure. He gave up all of that, gave up everything, made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. It's That is where we get the power to live generously, to be free from greed, to pursue a life of security only in Jesus and not in things.